journey with us below the ocean's surface to a place of darkness and eternal silence where man cannot go without his protective technology, a vast alien place in which countless secrets are hidden, countless mysteries unsolved. It was in this aquatic other world that Mark Harris was born. Stan Lee presents Man from Atlantis. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 67, A Modern Master of the World, Man from Atlantis, Issue 5, Cover Date, June 1978. Hello, time travelers, and welcome back to the comic book Time Machine, where we are taking a look at another issue from June 1978. Well, actually, from March 1978. Cover date is June 1978. For this segment, we are talking about Man from Atlantis issue number five. And this is the first in a three-part story, which I find kind of interesting. Um... You know, we've had some lengthy things going on with John Carter and Star Wars, but from our other licensed stuff, you know, we've only had two parters really, and sometimes even less than that with half issues and stuff. But yeah, here we are. Bill Mantlo wrote this one. Frank Robbins drew this one. Uh, Frank Springer was the inker. Joe Rosen, the letterer. Janice Cohen, the colorist. And of course, Archie Goodwin is our editor. And this one has the return of Scorba. Now, I don't know how you actually pronounce Scorba. I think I might have talked about this before because this is a character who appeared in issue number one, a villain who appeared in issue number one. It's spelled S-K-O-R-B-A, but the O has a slash through it, you know, like it's from some sort of uh, uh, Scandinavian country. Um, I'm just going with Scorba right now. That's, That's the best I can do. That's what I'm doing. And this issue was published during the hiatus where uh, the last uh, the last uh, episode of Man from Atlantis aired on December 13th of 1977. And another episode was not going to come until April 18th, 1978. So we're in the middle of that hiatus. And I'm not sure, but I have a feeling that that hiatus has something to do with why we aren't going to get too many more issues of this book. And I don't know exactly how many issues we have. I think it's going to end when we get to the end of this three-part story. I might be wrong. I don't remember exactly how many issues there are. I just know that I didn't have to work very hard to track them all down because there weren't that many to track down. The cover says the ray of red death. And in my thinking, when I was looking at that, I was thinking it was some sort of, you know, laser ray or something like that. But then there's bombs going off in the background. And then, you know, stupid me, I've read the issue now and I realize that it's no longer uh, the definition of the ray is no longer for me the laser ray, but instead like a manta ray 
The cover is similar, actually, to the Human Fly issue that we just talked about. Uh, the cover artists on these two books are different, although uh, the writers on these two books were the same with Bill Mantlo, but Lee Elias was doing Human Fly, not Frank Robbins this time around. But the cover artist here is Pablo Marcos. And instead of having our hero swimming upward with someone under his arm in this issue, he's diving downward with someone under his arm. Now, Human Fly was doing a stunt dive. Uh, Mark Harris on the cover of this issue looks like he's just doing a stupid dive. Um, he is diving into water, but there is a rock right under him and right in front of him. And I just can't help thinking that this is pretty i don't know where he's diving from but it's a pretty poorly planned dive as behind him you know there's bombs being dropped by a flying mechanical manta ray with a drill at its nose maybe he's just diving desperately but um yeah this is this is poor planning for the diver and the person that he's holding under his arm that person being dr elizabeth but the cover itself is exciting and as much as they have going on here with lots of explosions and stuff, you have the two main characters who are diving downward in the foreground that really command all of your attention. And the busyness in the background isn't too distracting to make for a, a bad cover. It's just not a great one. The splash page says, Chapter 1, A Modern Master of the World. And I think that that is referring to... Um, is it H.G. Well, no, Jules Verne's uh, Master of the World, which is something I read long ago. And so I really should take the time to maybe look up what um, what that story is about. But it's about a guy who's trying to take over the world. He's kind of a recluse. He's kind of a Captain Nemo type. I wonder if Captain Nemo is even in that. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to speculate any further and make myself look foolish. Instead, I'm just going to talk about this comic and that that is more than likely a uh, inspiration behind Scorba. Scorba, the pirate. Now, the man from Atlantis is Mark Harris. Mark Harris has lost his memory. He does not know anything that happened to him before he washed up on a beach and was found by uh, Elizabeth, I think her last name is Morell. And now he you know, he's working with the uh, Foundation for Oceanic Research. They have their own special submarine. They have their own underground base. They are basically good guy, underwater scientist versions of James Bond villains. They basically have all the James Bond villain trappings with a very, you know, a much better motive behind what they're doing. They want to study the ocean. And so having a underwater breathing man from Atlantis on their team is not a bad, not a bad uh, thing to have. What is a bad thing to have? Bombs being dropped above you, even if you are underwater and then underground. Uh, it is not good, and someone has targeted them perfectly. These bombs are dropping. Everyone is panicking. And then Mark Harris goes up above to find out what's going on. Uh, the, the Navy has scrambled some jets that are trying to fire on this thing. They are missing. As soon as Mark Harris comes up out of the water, a canister is dropped at his feet. A canister like the ones that they hold videotapes in, which in 1978, uh, you know, that reel-to-reel -reel kind of thing that you would see? That's, that's what they're talking about. It looks like a film canister, uh, but it's got video inside. And so they go take a look at the video, the Red Ray. That's It's that red flying ship that looks like a manta ray has flown away 
And they look at the videotape and oh, it's their old pal Scorba who is demanding that Mark Harris help them. He has escaped from prison and he has not escaped to do petty piracy anymore. He has something much, much grander in mind and he needs Mark Harris and he demands that Mark Harris help him or he will take the Red Ray and he will unleash it upon the world. Well, they scramble the Navy. They scramble ships and subs and planes to protect Mark Harris, but Mark Harris knows he needs to just give himself up to them, to Scorba and his people. And they they don't like the idea, and the, the Admiral, the Navy guy that they're talking to, the, the representative, he's saying, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and let you kind of go off with that plane, but we're going to keep our guys out there and we're going to, you know, so you can maybe give yourself up, but we're not going to stop defending uh, and, and not, we're not going to stop attacking. So if you give yourself up, it'll give us an opportunity to attack. Maybe that kind of thing. I've actually put more words to it than the guy in the comic did, but um, they end up getting attacked by the red Ray. Uh, it's, slams itself into the side of the foundation for oceanic research, the underground lab and pirates in red themed underwater goon gear, you know, straight from really straight from, you know, sixties Batman or um, almost anything where you, you, your villain has to have a theme and then that theme gets passed on to his, his goons. And so in this case it's red underwater, but they're pirates and they have stun guns and stuff and they stun everyone and then they threaten to kill them if Mark Harris doesn't come with them without a fight. And so they put a collar on Mark Harris's neck and they take him into the ray and start flying. Now, this collar has electrical shocks on it and we get a nice image here of Scorba sitting on basically a throne. He has a woman who is at his side, much the same way you would have a dog sitting beside you. The woman is pouring him a drink. She's also dressed in the red theme. Uh, her name is lady luck. And I'm not sure, but I think that she is meant to be of, uh, Asian descent. I mean, when I say Asian descent, I mean, she's from Japan or China. I don't know how she's being drawn other than given these kind of Asian, uh, features that that are really uh, vague and unfortunate. <laughs> I guess I'll put it that way. Uh, and her name's Lady Luck, so I'm thinking it's some sort of cliche stereotype, um, probably from China. You know, because China has luck stuff, right? So luck, yeah, let's do that. Anyway, I mean, there's there's all sorts of problems with this character that's sitting next to Scorba. And I mean, she's basically just an ornamental female. She is there to be by his side. She's also there to, you know, have an emotional reaction when they shock his his neck collar thing. And, you know, again, there's there's all sorts of problems with this character. Also, he seems to be pretty abusive towards her. So all sorts of problems just in general. Uh, they throw him into a, a cell. And when they finally get close to their destination, they open the cell. He needs water, so he pushes past. He escapes, opens up a hatch, and we get a panel of where they're going. Now, what Scorba told them they were going to do is they're going north. They're going up north 
to a tropical paradise. I'm thinking in my mind some sort of oh, global warming kind of thing. Maybe they're going to melt the ice caps. You know, that was a fear back then that the, the waters are going to rise to the point where, you know, by the year 2000, um, New York would be underwater, you know, that kind of thing. But nope, nope, it doesn't go there. Where it goes makes me excited for next issue because we are in a lost world scenario. We are looking down at volcanoes and dinosaurs. And so, you know, the lost world, that's Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And I don't know if he was the first one to do this, but he's the earliest one that I know of off the top of my head. He's also the most famous one for me, although Edgar Rice Burroughs also did some of this kind of thing with, uh, you know, center of the earth type of of situations. But with Edgar, with uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, his his Professor Champion character went to this plateau. I believe it was in Antarctica, but it's this place where um, – it's it's basically lost world. It's it's um, the same as Kazar, uh, who is from again south uh, in Antarctica, where there's this area that is just a tropical jungle. It's Warlord uh, now. Warlord from DC Comics. You know you're going to the center of the Earth, but for this we are up toward the North Pole, and apparently there is some place up north that has retained enough moisture and heat over just the years that has allowed dinosaurs to remain and to roam freely. And here we have a story that, you know, Scorba and his uh, flying manta ray thing, that's something they couldn't really have done in the series Man from Atlantis on TV. Here they don't have the effects budget and so they're able to do anything. So they do this and they have, you know, fighter jets and they have ships and they're not using stock footage because they can actually just draw it on the page. And they're not using poor, poor, poor special effects because they're able to just draw it on the page. And they're able to go to a lost world with dinosaurs and volcanoes and palm trees and all that stuff. And they're able to just draw it on the page. And so, I, yeah, I'm excited to see Mark Harris with his water powers and all that kind of thing going into this situation where he's basically in a jungle, probably with some lakes. There'll definitely be some swimming dinosaurs. I'm positive of that as well. But, you know, this is going to be fun. I hope. Now, getting there wasn't much fun. This one was just pure set up there wasn't a lot of real action that gets your heart pumping or anything it's just he gets they get attacked he gets captured he ends up in the dinosaur place there it is that's the issue but you know for three issue part three part story uh this is a good issue number one because it certainly lets us know where they're taking it uh Really don't have much more to say other than uh, there is a one humorous moment where the accountant who runs the Foundation for Oceanic Research, CW, he's answering like all these different phones. It's cartoon. It is a cartoon. He's answering all these phones. He's talking into all of them. He's saying, I have to give you a report. I know you want to report. I just I don't have time to give you a report because I have to take care of things here. And he throws the phones. He says, if you don't, he says, I've already told all of you that I don't know why we were attacked. And I'm never going to find out why if you don't all ring off and let me do my job. I have never heard the phrase ring off used before, but I'm assuming ring off 
is some sort of phone-related curse word? I don't know. And he throws all the phones against the wall. He's very, very shaken. And he's, he's I'm supposed to be a high-paid bookkeeper in charge of a research foundation, but now the governor, the Navy, and every department head is calling to ask me, C.W. Crawford, how to react to an invasion. I'm allergic to invasions, Elizabeth. They give me hives. <laughs> it's it's goofy. It's silly. But, you know, I like the line. I'm never going to hope that I hear it again. Uh, but I, I don't mind it. And so, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, I'm excited to see where this is going. I'm excited. I mean, this issue five here, Mark Harris has not overstayed his welcome. And he has not given me a bad issue yet. Compared to Human Fly... This is a much more enjoyable series. But this is where they finally cut loose and say, we're going to tell some stories that we can't tell on TV. We're not, we don't have to tell the kind of stories they're telling on TV that are kind of these, oh. And the stories on TV, I just watched one. I might have talked about it on the last, last, last uh, segment that I, that I talked about, Man from Atlantis, but oh my goodness. It's all about the ocean is being drained through a hole and the water is coming through and it's coming through like a gold miners uh, collect a water collecting thing. And there is literally a guy on the other side who is mining for gold. He's an alien who lives on this alien planet. And so he's draining the ocean through this chute. And you want to know what they use for special effects for the water that's coming through the chute. Water, by the way, that's coming through so fast and so furious and with such force that it would rip a regular person apart. Now, not Mark Harris, because he has to jump in so he can help move the panel that comes down to shut off the chute. They have a, a giant corkscrew wheel that they're turning you know, with handles on it, but it gets stuck. He has to go in and fight against the current and push the thing up. And the special effects here for this water, it's ridiculous because they don't do anything. They don't do any kind of animated water. They don't do any kind of like real water, just have real water going through there, flowing through there. It is literally nothing. It is... Patrick Duffy pantomiming that he is fighting this forceful current of water coming toward him. It is literally pretend playtime. It is me as a five-year-old boy pretending that the stairs in my house are a waterfall and I'm pushing hard to climb up the stairs as imaginary water is pushing me back. And then I would slip and I would let myself slide down the stairs on my belly on the carpet. And then I'd start trying to do it again. But Patrick Duffy is doing this in a professionally produced television show. <laughs> It is awful. It is so bad. It made me just cringe. And so once again, I say, if you want to get and see Man from Atlantis, get the TV movie collection. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good 70s sci-fi show. The TV series itself, it goes places... It goes to human fly type of places as far as the you know comic book goes. 
So that's it for coverage of Man from Atlantis number five. Next segment is going to be Marvel Super Special number three, which is an adaptation of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So until then, my final words to you are, wherever you are, if you've been kidnapped and you're being taken to the North Pole, or if you've been kidnapped and you're being taken to a lost world, I thank you for listening and wish you Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you'd join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode... All new, the illustrated collector's edition of the Steven Spielberg film. Every exciting panel in full color based on the Columbia Pictures EMI presentation, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Okay, doing the new promo. Do not say take the dare. Do not say take the dare. Okay, go. Hello, darling. Nice to see ya. It's me, J. David Weeder, the Conway Twitty of podcasting. But please call me Dave. I host a show called Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where I talk about Marvel's Man Without Fear and Netflix superstar Daredevil. But I'm here to tell you that things have changed. Don't worry, I've still got more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at and a desperado love for Daredevil. And episodes of the show still come out each and every Sunday. But now, Dave's Daredevil Podcast is part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. That's right, the show can now be found at twotruefreaks.com, home of Earth's mightiest podcasts. And if you haven't tried the show before, I see the want to in your eyes. So take the time to check out Dave's Daredevil Podcast, because sometimes you need a podcaster with a slow hand. Dave's Daredevil Podcast, every Sunday at Two True Freaks. Dot com. Take the dare. I have no self-control.